Good morning. I want to talk to you this morning about the rescue and the Can I just say one thing to you? How many people were here last Sunday? Anybody here blessed, hasn't we didn't, wasn't it? Wasn't it absolutely fantastic? Wasn't it amazing when we did the stuff with the shoes? We did the empty shoe Sunday, left them there as a memorial, a marker for those who aren't here. If you brought shoes with you last Sunday and they're still here, you can take them away with you today. The ones that are left behind, we're going to leave throughout the building as a memorial, as a marker to remind us to pray for those who haven't yet surrendered their lives to Jesus. Okay? So if your shoe's here and you want to take them away, you can do that today. I want to talk to you about the rescue in the ruin. I was speaking a few weeks ago about, um, about uh, Nehemiah, a guy called Nehemiah, second shortest man in the Bible, he's going up to the knees, see Nehemiah, short guy. And, uh, um, so Nehemiah, he was this character that God called and put something on his heart. He was broken hearted for the condition of the city of Jerusalem. I'd been talking about being in Babylon and this was at the end of the exile in Babylon and God put it on his heart to go back and when he went back he discovered that the place was absolutely in ruins. But God had called him to do the job and had given him the skills and the abilities, even unbeknownst to himself, God was at work in his life and drawing him back to Jerusalem. And when he drew him back to Jerusalem, not only did he end up rebuilding the wall, he ended up rebuilding the people as well. Because I think that was God's real purpose for him. He was there to rebuild the people. And I want to talk to you today a little bit about how Nehemiah did this and what the parallel is for us here in Ireland, in Cork, in Grace Church today with this story. Because there are very clear metaphorical and spiritual parallels that can be drawn between his story and our story. Because we are today, as a church as we gather in what you're doing today, we are rescuing people too from ruins. Can I get an amen to that? People who have ruined lives, ruined health, ruined relationships are being rescued by Jesus in churches like this up and down the country every week. Thank the Lord. And that is what we're called to do as a church to help and get involved in the rescue mission that God has called us to do. But I want to look specifically at Nehemiah's part in the story and how how he responded to the challenge that was set before him. And I believe it's the same way that we should respond to the challenge set before us. Can I get an amen? amen. So I wonder, would you pray with me as we begin? Would you stand for one moment and we'll pray? I'll keep the prayer short. People tell me I pray very long. I don't think I do, but I'm going to keep it short. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are here today in your presence. Amen. We thank you that we have breath in our lungs, life in our body. Amen. I thank you, Lord, for every person here. You have a purpose. You have a plan, you have a calling, and you have provision to bring that plan to pass. As we look at your word this morning, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to the church, what it would say to us, to our lives and to our situations, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. You take your seats, guys. He comes back, Nehemiah comes back to the city of Jerusalem and he does a, a quick... Reconnoiter, he does a quick reconnaissance of the walls and he discovers the complete and utter mess that everything is in. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 7 to 23. I won't read all of the verses but I've abridged some of it. Um, but we'll get into the, the, the meat of that story. But we start off where he was. This by the way is a picture of me in 2013. This is what I looked like. Full head of black hair. I was I tanned skin. I looked amazing. And this was the expression that was on my face when I walked into this building in 2013. You see Tom and I were handed the keys on the 1st of December 2013. The guy handed us the keys and ran away as fast as he could. We thought, he was fast to leave. What was the story there? So we got the keys. We walked into the building. Oh, lads, it was just an absolute 
ruin. The place was in bits. And Tom walked in, he had them, he just had a vision. I can see it all happening. And I just stood there with my hands in my head going, oh no, and I know who's going to have to make it all happen. The work, it was unbelievable. If you saw the condition of the place, it was an absolute ruin. Every stone, every stick, every door frame, every door, everything in the building, every tile, every pipe was going to have to come out and all be replaced. Almost the entire electricals, in actual fact, the entire electricals right throughout the building had to be replaced. Everything right down to the bottom line had to be ripped out and replaced. But you know what happened? God gave us the grace. And he gave us the favor. And he, he said, sent us the resources. He sent us the people. We weren't ripped off once. We weren't taken for a ride by anyone. God protected us and was with us all the way through his project. And do you know why? Because we were dedicated to his purposes. Because we weren't rebuilding a building. We were rebuilding God's church. Hallelujah. That was what our purpose was. I remember right here where I'm standing. Many of you don't know this. There used to be a safe here. A concrete safe. It was 12 inches thick, 300 millimeter thick walls. Poured concrete and steel right along here as far as the corner out here and back to here a big L-shaped room and when we dug out when we did the work we didn't literally do it we hired people to come in and do it but it was enormous it went on day and night for weeks on end and approximately 20 tons of concrete was removed from this corner only just for the record that's about 15 cars there or thereabouts in terms of weight it went out here it went out through a hole right underneath my poor head over there out through a hole and into the yard and we cleared it out. It was a massive undertaking. But our God was with us. Hallelujah. And God has been with us all the way since the first and since the start. And by his grace, he'll be with us all of our days. Can I get an amen? amen. We know he will. We expect he will. But, he, but this guy Nehemiah goes around and he looks at the walls. And when he looks at the walls, he puts his hands on his head too. And he goes and he speaks to the people who came back with him who were also very discouraged. And this is what he said. He said, you know very well the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem, the city of God, lies in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. So let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. This church, John, to give you an example, had become known as a lighthouse in the city and it had just gone downhill over years and years and years and years and the situation had gotten worse and in some senses the gospel was disgraced by the condition of the place but by God's grace we were able to end that disgrace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He goes on to say that the people replied at once, let's, yes, let's rebuild the wall. And so they began the good work. God has called us to a good work. Can I get an amen? amen? Not just me and Tom and our families, but you too, God has called you to that good work. Can I get an amen? amen. And we're willing to put our hands to the plow. Are you? Yes. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. I love that. We're in, the, we're in the right place today. I want to start off, however, when we go to do anything good in our lives, when we go to do anything that advances God's purpose and God's plan in our lives, you are going to meet opposition. The enemy is going to come against it. I looked at it a few weeks ago. There were the three strategies that the enemy used to, to confront and try and stop this work that was going on. What were they? They were dis to discourage God's people. Discouragement. That was the first one. The second one was to distract God's people from their purpose and from this plan. And the third was to deceive God's people into thinking that the danger was greater than it was and that God wouldn't protect them. And so these guys, three guys, the guy, guy called Sanballat Geshem and a, a guy called Tobiah, they really, they were local leaders, they came against the work that God was doing. 
And they really are symbolic, metaphorical. They are a type, as they were, of the devil coming against the work of God in your life and in my life. And so when we come to church, we should not be discouraged. We should be encouraged. Amen. When we come to church, we shouldn't be distracted from our purpose, but we should be focused on yes. Jesus, Amen. the author and the finisher of our, of our faith. And when we come to church, we should not be deceived, but we should stand on the truth of God. Amen. We should speak the truth to one another in yes. Jesus' Amen. mighty name. That's what should happen in a church. If that hasn't been your experience in the church, I am so sorry to hear that, but that won't happen here. Amen. That won't happen here. You will be encouraged, you will be focused, and you will not be deceived. You will hear the truth in this place. And what was the response, the people's response? They had three faith responses. I looked at them before. They were devotion, they were dedication, and they were determination. That was their attitude. They were focused. They stayed determined. They stayed dedicated to the task that God had given them. And so they began to undertake the work that God put in front of them. They knew it was going to be hard. They knew it was going to be difficult, but they knew that God was going to be with them. So when we do the work that we do, I'm going to talk about the church a bit, but I also want to talk about your life. When you do what God has put before you, you can also expect opposition, but you can also expect God's favor and God's power to be at work in you. So how did they go about it? They were diligent, they were vigilant, they were dedicated, and they were determined. Let's read what God's word says. They became the battling builders. They were the battling builders who built the wall of Jerusalem. Here's what it says. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the bad guys in the story, heard that Jerusalem's repairs uh, walls had gone ahead, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come together and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard night and day to meet this threat. They did two things. First of all, they prayed. Don't undertake any endeavor without prayer. Can I get an amen? You know, we need to be praying. We need to be a praying people. But they also posted a guard. It wasn't a case of, well, no, the Lord's going to look after it all. And I don't have to worry about anything. And I don't have to do any work. It's just all the Lord is going to do it. That's not what they did. They prayed and they posted a guard. They took action alongside their faith. Faith and action working alongside each other. That is how we're going to advance God's purposes in our lives. He went on to say this, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, the places that are most exposed, and the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So you've got to think the time, they're working at the time, and they've got weapons with them as they're doing their job. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, I want you to pay attention to what Nehemiah said, because what Nehemiah said to these people is what God is saying to us here today in this room, in this hall, in this building, in this city. This is what God says to you. He said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Can I get an amen? amen? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families. Amen. Fight for your sons. Amen. Fight for your daughters. Amen. Fight for your wives. Amen. And fight for your homes in Jesus' name. Amen. Fight for them. Because you know what the enemy wants you to do? The enemy wants you to fight with your wife. He wants you to fight with your husband. He wants you to fight with your son and with your sons and daughters. He wants you to get into a fight with them. 
But God wants you to fight for them. In both your prayer and your practice, that you fight for them. Would any of the wives say amen? Amen. Pray for your husbands. Amen. Amen. Husbands, pray for your wives. Amen. Amen. Don't be fighting with them. Fight for them. Encourage them. Speak the truth to them. Build them up. That's what we're called to do. And that's what the enemy doesn't want us to do. He'd love us to have a big old squabble. Let's not be cranky parents. Can I get an amen? Amen. Catching our children doing all wrong. What what are you doing? Where are you going? What are you you at? What's What's in your mouth? What's in your hand? What's in your pocket? Forget it. Encourage them. There's an old phrase in Irish, encourage the young one and she will come. Encouragement, not discouragement. Catch your children doing good. Can I get an amen? amen? Well done, you. Encourage them and build them up. And I want to say to you today, prophetically, I believe God is saying to you that some of you are being dragged into a fight in your family. Stay out of the fight. Don't fight with your family. Fight for them in Jesus' mighty name. And that's what we're doing here, guys. You see all these? See all these shoes? All these shoes that represent family members and friends. And that's the people that we are fighting for. To see them rescued from the ruins of their lives. From the ruins that they may not even recognize. They may even be super successful, but they still need to be rescued. They still need to be rescued. He went on to say this. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall. Each to our own work. God has a specific work for every single one of us here in this building today. A specific work. Something that you were made particularly for. But we look at that in a few minutes. From that day on, half of my men did the work. While the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. So half the lads got a handy job. They just had to kind of stand back and wait around in case the enemy came. And the other fellas did the building. Now if it was me, and I lived in that culture, I would much rather be doing the building than standing there with the weapons. You know why? Because I feel like the weapons were going to be the first to be taken out when the war started. But moreover, it's a shift. So what happens is, you get to mind the weapons. You're standing there with your swords and spears and yada, yada, yada. At one stage, and then you build. And then you take a shift where you are on the weapons. You take a shift when you build. And a shift when you're on the weapons. And a shift when you, when you build. And that that's how they did the work and they stayed at the work and they focused at the work from sun up to sundown but they fought and they worked at the same time are you with me yeah. they did it at the same time I like what he says next he says the officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall those who carried materials I love this did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other hand Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. So they're going to work, they're holding the materials in one hand, and then they have a sword in the other hand. Right? So they're going to work, and you don't want to sit down for lunch because someone says, you pass me my sandwiches there, it will give you a dangerous situation. So they're standing there, they're working there, they've got swords in their hands. I mean, I can barely hold a microphone, a clicker, and a sword at the same time. So I don't imagine how they held, whatever they held, rocks and stones and pallets and mortar and mortar boards and instruments and tools. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And it's very symbolic. They were ready all the time. They were ready for anything. Now, can you imagine? Imagine, see, I, 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 was so, I went to see a surgeon there a few months ago, about, about two months ago. I went to see a surgeon. And when I went to the surgeon, imagine if I, when I walked into the surgeon, he was standing there with a sword in his hand. Wouldn't they go, hey, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down, and already yet? Or you went to the doctor, and the doctor says, come on and let me quick, let me examine them. It doesn't matter. So let me examine some part that shouldn't be mentioned. And he has a sword in his hand, going, oh, God, you're grand, you're grand doctor. You see, these were dangerous men, and these were dangerous times, but they were ready. They were ready. And when we say talk about a sword, what are we talking about? 
What we talk about metaphorically and spiritually, we see it if you know your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is like a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. Just like J-Lo sang. And no, it wasn't J-Lo, it was somebody else. Anyway, somebody else sang it. It cuts both ways. What was her name? Estefes? Gloria Estefan, that's who sang it. Anyway, Estefan, she sang it. It cuts both ways. And so that's what it is. When they talk to what is the sword for us? No, we're not. Michael said, I'm supposed to get a sword. I'm going to go down to T.W. Murray's below in Patrick Street and get a sword and go to work tomorrow morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm here to see the customer services man. No, that's not what it means. It means the word of God. No. God's word. Have it in your heart. Keep it close to you. Have it ready to hand, especially when the enemy discourages or distracts or deceives. Have the sword in your hand. Can I get an amen? Amen. And that's what these men did. They worked and they held the sword in their hand. It goes on to say this. So we continued the work with half the men holding the spears. Serving as guards at night and workers by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. It took them 52 days to do the job. They wore the same clothes for 52 days. Can you imagine how smelly that building site was? Big hairy fellas, now covered in sweat, walking in the heat of the Middle Eastern sun, laying blocks and bricks and carrying stuff around. Not to mention the fact that their swords and their weapons and their shields, none of which, of course, by the way, were lightweight. Everything was heavy. But you know what? They didn't care. Their sweat was blessed. When we serve God, our sweat is blessed. Can I get an amen? You see, they planned, they practiced, and they perspired, and they weren't ashamed to do that. And they, everyone, they went, each had a weapon, even when he went for water. I just love it. They go for water, say, I'm just going to get a drink of water, I'm going to bring my weapon with me. You know, I might translate that into modern culture. I'm just going to go and get a cup of water, I'm going to bring my, my cold 44 with me, just in case I get jumped in the kitchen. Very unlikely. But they would never let their guard down. Brothers and sisters, can I say it to you? Never let your guard down. Never let your guard on Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he warns the Christians. He says, be sober-minded and alert because your enemy, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He says, be sober-minded and be alert. Don't let your guard down. Keep the word of God close to your heart. Keep it in your hand. Keep it in your mouth. And keep it in your mind. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So the point I want to make is this. They prayed and they practiced. They practiced and they prayed. They prayed and stood guard. They stood guard and they prayed. The two of them went alongside each other. They had spiritual activity and physical activity that went alongside each other all of the time. But what what, what does that mean for us today? Michael, what are you talking about? What's a spiritual activity? See, when we say, well, I did a spiritual activity, people think about spiritual as something ethereal or or ghost-like or spirit-like. And and in some senses it is. But the reality is is that if we've got good spiritual principles in our life, it will make solid differences in our lives. It will lay down a pathway, a roadway that will guide all of our lives and bring us to God's good end that he intends for us. If we have a right spiritual path laid in our lives. If we have the wrong spiritual path laid in our lives, we will not end up where God wants us to go. I just want to stick that in there. It's a solid thing. It's not some go, some kind of foggy thing. To have spiritual, have a spiritual path in your life is really, really important. You see, recently I was asked by someone, um, 
Uh, some did, 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 a guy who does a really good work, he's involved in really good work uh, for search, searching and rescuing people. Um, and it's a really good work, they go looking for missing people. And uh, they do amazing work, their hearts are on fire, they've, they've got such compassion for the people they're helping. But if you, someone goes missing in your family, you can ring this crew and they will go and they will literally go and search for this person. Sadly, most of the people they go and search for are dead by the time they find them. Sadly, that's the plain truth of it. But they do this mission and they do it with all of their hearts and do it with determination. And it's a really, really good work. I mean, they really, really are extra special. So somebody who was involved in this work asked me recently to get involved in this work, to get involved in this search and rescue work. And I, I, at first I kind of went, wow, yeah, I mean, that's something I'd really like to get involved with. And I was saying, like, Lord, wouldn't it be great if I had time, I could get involved in the search and rescue. And then I thought, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I've been involved with search and rescue since I became a Christian. That's exactly what we do. We actually search out people and we help rescue them by the power of Jesus Christ. That's what we do in this church. We search for people and we rescue them from the current age. We rescue them from a, li a lost life. There are people inside in this room today who were suicidal, but they're now alive and thriving because of God's goodness because they came to a church like this. Can you hear me? Do you know what I'm saying? That's what we're involved in. That's the work that you're involved in. That's the difference. There are people here who were addicted, who've gotten over their addictions and have begun to build lives and build homes and build marriages and have children and have relationships simply because they came to a church like this. They met Jesus. Jesus was searching for them and they were rescued. Hallelujah. See, Jesus said, that's my mission. Jesus said, that's my mission. That's what I'm doing. He said it really simply. Here is in Luke's gospel. He said, the son of man, Jesus himself, has come to seek and save that those who are lost. That's it. That's a mic drop. That's it. That's what Jesus has come to do. You want to know what did Jesus come to do? He's come to seek and save those who are lost. That's what he's come to do. Nothing else. That's the key thing. That's the key purpose that he came for. That's the key purpose that we should be involved in. And how do we do that? By building and doing church right. Are you with me? Yeah. Can I ask you a quick question? How many people here became Christians because you met someone on a plane who witnessed to you, told you about Jesus, and you became a Christian on the plane. How many people here experienced that? Well, no one really. I'm amazed because, like, I tell you, there was about 50 books doing the rounds when I became a Christian, and all of them involved guys, normally pastors or evangelists, on planes, reaching out and people getting saved going on planes. Normally flying from New York to, you know, Los Angeles or someplace like that. There was never, never anyone flying from, like, Dublin to, I don't know, Strasbourg or something like that. Nobody was ever flying in that. But it was always like, I was on a flight from LA to New York, and I met this man, and I told him about Jesus, and he became a Christian. I read loads of those stories, and yet I've never met even one person who became a Christian on a plane. Strange, isn't it? How many people here became a Christian by watching the TV? You saw the gospel on the TV and you got saved. You saw the gospel on the TV and you got saved. Well, isn't that remarkable? Because I heard loads of stories about people who said, put your hand out and touch the screen and accept Jesus into your life right now. And you can ring the number down here and you can make a donation while you're at it, if that's okay. I've seen it, I've heard it, I've watched it, I've seen it, I thought, wow, I mean, there must be like millions of people who became Christians who watched the TV and became a Christian, yet remarkably in Grace Christian Church there are none, none on the plane, none on the train, none on the TV, none in the rain, I'm going to keep going. How many people here got saved? I became a Christian because you were raised by a Christian family who went to church or a friend or family member invited you to church and you went to church and became a Christian as a result. How many people here had that experience? 
Well, no, isn't that interesting? Would you do me a favor? Would you stand up? Stand up, come on, stand up, please stand up. Please stand up with the real Slim Shady. Please stand up, come on, real stand up. Please stand up. So here you are. Now, some of you obviously got saved in some really special ways under the Macaulay Conception or something, wasn't it? Um, but for the vast majority, I want you to look around, look around you, look around you. What does that tell you about how important the church is to the gospel? Oh, what does that tell you? That all of these people who are standing here around you became Christians by being invited to a church, hearing the good news about Jesus, experiencing church, and then became Christians as a result. Does that not tell you that you are in the place that God is most at work? Yes. Yes. Does it not tell you that you are in the place where God calls you to be involved in that work? Yes. Amen. You can take your seat. Give yourselves a round of applause. Gosh, you're not exactly going to applaud yourselves very strongly, are you? The Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. That's his mission. That's our mission. And everything we do, from the person that greets you at the front door, to the person who serves you the coffee, to the person who locks up, has the same focus. We're here to reach to seek and save those who are lost. We're here to search and rescue people in Jesus' wonderful name. That's what we do. So the question arises, where do I fit in? Where do you fit in? Where do you fit into this? You see, here's a revelation, right? Here's a revelation. You don't go to church. You are the church. You don't go to church. It's just a building. It's just the walls. It's just a... I know it. I've seen these walls naked. I know it's just a building. That's all it is. It's got windows and doors. That's all this building is. You are the church. You are the thing in which God goes to work. You are the thing through which the Holy Spirit is going to put. Operating in power. That's who it is. That's what it is. And if you want to know what am I going to do with my life? Hello? Invested in the church. Can we get an amen? Because everybody should do that. I believe it truly with all of my heart. But you say, yeah, but yeah, I get that. Yes, Michael, I know you're all psyched up about that now. But, but how? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Well, the American Christian pastor, writer, author, genius, really, uh, Rick Warren, in his, from Saddleback Church, he wrote a brilliant book called The Purpose Driven Life. I'd recommend it to anyone. And in this book, he described, he uses an acronym to describe the way that you can find your purpose and where you fit in in the church. Now, the guys are going to unpack it. I think Dara's going to unpack it a bit more on Friday at first Friday but let me give you the loosest ideas of what he calls your shape he uses the acronym shape which represents five things that God uses in your life to use you and will show you where you should work in God's kingdom and God's purposes here they are the first is your spiritual gifting it's a gift from God some people receive a gift some people receive some gifts or a few gifts. Some people have many spiritual gifts. But a spiritual gift is for every single Christian believer. Every single Christian believer. There's a gift available for you. For you. All you have to do is ask and the Holy Spirit will give it to you. You will receive God's gift to show you the area that you should work in. The second is this, your heart. What is it that's on your heart? What do you love? What do you love? I was standing there this morning and I was worshipping and I just thought, you know something? I love worship. I think I might become a worship leader sometime. That's what I think I might do. I love worship. I love playing in worship. I love singing worship. I love leading worship. I love singing along with worship. I'm constantly tapping my leg and my hand is going to I love it. I have a heart for it. I love to see God's people worship. So that's just an example. What have you got a heart for? Have you got a heart to see kids become Christians? Have you got a heart to see strangers be welcome? What have you got a heart for? 
What about the abilities God has given you? You're natural. You call them, we call them natural abilities, but they're all supernatural abilities. All of them are gifts. You, did, you weren't born. You didn't decide to have all of these abilities. God gave you those abilities. And what about your personality? Now, personalities are very different. You have different types of personalities. You have very kind of outgoing, warm kind of personalities, like Tom's personality. He's very warm. He's outgoing. He's chatty. And then you have the more reflective, inward-looking, quiet types, like me, who work, we walk alongside each other really, really well. And like, I mean, I wouldn't say hello to anyone. I just beads leave me alone and I want to be on my own. And I don't ever say anything to anybody. It's just hide here in the corner. But whatever kind of personality you have. Now, if you're from Cork or if you're from Ireland, I know what you're thinking about personality. That when you were a kid, if someone said you have a lovely personality, it meant that you were as ugly as sin to look at, but you got you're still a nice person. So I remember somebody saying about me, I'm Michael, yeah, sure, he's a lovely personality. That means he's ugly, but he's got a nice personality and you can get on fine with him. It was all in the past now, healing of memories, thank you Lord. <laughs> your abilities, your personality, what's your personality like? Are you outgoing? Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Are you a talker? Are you a listener? Are you a doer? Are you a practical person? What's your personality like? And finally, your experiences, brothers and sisters. God uses the experiences, especially the bad ones, believe it or not, that you have, to comfort others, and to guide others and to encourage others. Amen. The experiences in your life, believe it or not, even the tough ones, are a gift from God to you that he can use. Remember the scripture says, Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose for them. You see, he uses our experiences. What's your gifting? What's your heart? What's your ability? What's your personality? What are your experiences? These are the things that will guide you as to what you should do. But here, this is something really, really important. This is important. Be careful, careful attention, Paul wrote to the Galatians. To whose work? To your own work. Mm. Pay careful attention to your own work. Don't be worrying about what Tom is doing. Mm. Don't be worrying about what Michael is doing, what Peter is doing over here. Don't be worrying about what Paddy Fitzgerald is doing or Joseph O'Donovan is doing. Don't be worrying about what they're doing. Let them do what God has called them to do. You do what God has called you to do. And I think you will find largely that if you speak to Paddy, you speak to Joe, you speak to Tommy, you speak to Peter, you find them actually quite encouraging. You can speak to one of the women, of course, such as Juvie. I just realized they were all white males. Big mistake. See that? Patriarchy. All that kind of stuff. You will find that they will encourage you to do exactly the same. Do what God has called you to do. Because yes. he says, because then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you will not need to compare yourself with anyone else. Yes. Because comparison yes. is a curse. When you compare your life to someone else, it's a curse. Yeah. I don't have his looks. I don't have his talent. I don't have his money. I don't have his house. I don't have his car. I don't have his career. I don't have his children. I don't have his shoes. I don't know. Take your pick. When you compare, you fall under a curse. You fall under a curse. Do you know why? Because comparison brings competition. And when competition comes in the door, the Holy Spirit goes out the door. That's what happens. When we begin to compete with each other in God's purposes and in God's kingdom, the Holy Spirit departs. Paul calls it grieving the Holy Spirit. That's one of the ways, there are many, one of the ways in which we grieve the Holy Spirit. So if you can, pay careful attention to your own work. Can you get an amen? So, how are we going to do it? Imagine, no, you have a sense of what God has called you to do. You kind of have a sense of why you should do it. You know that there's a specific work for you. But it's not just that. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, he says, God not only gives us the desire, 
with the will and the power to do what pleases him. Amen. He gives us the ability yeah. to do what he's called us to do. Mm -hmm. Jesus yeah. said it very simply, very plainly. Now you mightn't be one of the people that is on this list. No, everyone's on this list. Jesus speaking to disciples, to the apostles specifically in Acts chapter 1. This is what he says to them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Amen. He doesn't say you might receive a bit of old encouragement if the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says, no, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the power that Jesus is talking about here is the same power that raised Jesus himself Amen. from the dead. Amen. Paul writes about it in Ephesians. He says the same spirit at work in you is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Is the working of a mighty arm, he describes Amen. it as. It's God's power at work in you. So if you need power, God will give you power to do his will. Hallelujah. Now his will may be to love your neighbor. It is. His will may be to love your wife. It is. It may be to love your husband. Trust me. It is. It may be to love your children and encourage them. It is. But it's also to build his church. To work with his people to advance the kingdom of God. How do people become Christians in Ireland? They come into rooms like this. Into halls like this. Amongst weirdos like us. And they hear about Jesus and they become Christians. Hallelujah. Oh, he didn't make up the rooms. God does it. That's what he does. He makes it up. He says there's power available to you. Maybe the band will come up and we'll actually sing this time. Julie. Maybe the band will come up. Here's, Paul writes about it too. He writes about it to the Ephesians. He writes it in Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to keep, out for, keep an eye out for two words. Power and strength. Here's what he writes to them. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, God will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Imagine that, Christ making his home in your heart. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong Amen. hallelujah he goes on to say and may you have the power to understand along with all of god's people how wide how long how high and how deep his love is and then you will be made complete in the fullness of life and power that where does it come from comes from god hallelujah he finishes off by saying this he says no all glory to god who is able through his mighty power at work within us this is not power from the outside this is power from the inside the power power that's work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think hallelujah has anybody here got a good imagination i can imagine god doing great things i can imagine god doing amazing things he says that by god's power at work in us we can do even more than we can ask and we can imagine that we can even think would you like that power to work in your life would you want that power how's about we ask god for that power today before we leave this building and say come holy spirit let your power fall upon us just as we stand on the promise of jesus will you stand will you stand with me in the room we're going to pray in just a moment let me give you this last verse before we finish up give me strength then we're going to sing and then we're going to pray give me strength hallelujah
Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he wraps up his letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians. He's wrapping it up and he said all of this stuff all through these chapters and then he kind of, I'm sure he kind of goes, right, let me wrap it up very simply for you. This is what he says. Be on guard. Have your sword at the ready. Be on guard. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Have courage. Be strong. And do everything, do everything with love. He says, do everything. Because it's all about the doing. It's not about the philosophy. It's not about the imagining. It's not about the thinking. It's about the doing. And when we put our hand to do what God has called us to do, He will give us the power. Can I get an amen? 